I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Formula Once Upon a Time. In this edition, we'll be talking to someone quite special. An old boss of mine, but more importantly, an absolute legend of Formula One, and that is Bernard Charles Eccleston. We met up virtually, of course, as we have to nowadays, but we were pretty close to each other. He was in Stad in Switzerland, and I was on the other side of Matterhorn in Italy. So we were both in the Alps, a short helicopter ride, as I pointed out to him. But of course, I don't have one, and uh, his wasn't quite ready. So we had to meet virtually. Great to see you. And you. How are you doing, Bernie? Up to now, okay. And Bernie was in a very good mood. But I also know that, from experience, he can be quite combative in interviews. And some people are actually quite scared of him. Some people have even described him as evil. I haven't got any bad moods. And I'm not sort of what you said I am. Basically evil. So I'm just normal. It's strange, I still get so much to do with the people within Formula One, either people worldwide that are promoters or organizers or something, and the teams, I speak to the teams, and so really from that point of view, no change. Once upon a time, you told me how you, you enjoyed also talking to people and being involved with them, and you also told me how you know, you'd been instrumental, which we know in, in helping uh, Max, Max Mosley getting elected to the FIA and of course Jean Todd uh, getting elected as president after Max. Do you miss that role of being, they used to call you the ringmaster, but being at, in the middle of things? I suppose I've got to say yes to that because I can't really make any decisions that, that's going to make any big difference to people. When I talk to people, they ask me questions, ask me some help and I try to steer them in a way that I think would be a good way to steer them. And that still happens. So I'm still happy with that. But as for actually making the decisions, that's, I suppose, what I miss, the business decisions. If anyone sends me to do a job, I like to feel that I can do a good job for them. And I like to feel afterwards that I have done a good job for them. So that gives me a lot of pleasure in doing that. Of course, everybody knows that Bernie likes to be busy, very busy indeed. But I also asked him about being an innovator. Don't forget we used to have a European Championship, which I thought maybe better to have a World Championship. 
So it was then the good times for me is to find in countries that I thought would be good for Formula One and then trying to convince the countries it would be good for them to have a Formula One and then find that the people in the country that were prepared to be the promoters of the events and run the events. This leads me to one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, because you have this amazing relationship with uh, with all kinds of people. You always said that it was all about personal relationships. Yeah, that's true. I seem to get on reasonably well with people. I don't try to take any advantage from them. And if I can be of any help to them, I like to feel I can do that, can help people. And in the end, you get people trust you. And if you get the reputation, which I hope I have worldwide, where people can trust me, you know, forget contracts. Mm-hmm. A handshake is enough. We eventually have to put something down on a piece of paper, but more or less a handshake's enough. As long as you do what you say you promise to do, that's what you have to do. There was another aspect that I wanted to ask you about, and I'll just take you back to a, an episode I remember when I was working for you last, and I was having a meeting with all these people from Google and YouTube in the, in the Playboy room in Prince's Gate, and at one stage the door opened, and it opened quite slowly, and, and I was right next to the door, so I couldn't see who it was, but I realized it was you because everybody looked a little bit nervous, you know, as, as people did when they didn't know you. And then you had in front of you a large portrait of Mao Tse-tung, and you looked at me and you said, who's this? And I said, oh, it's Mao. And you said, what was he? And I kind of, you know, I was stood there for a second there. I said, he's a dictator. And you said, that's right. And then you looked at all the people in the room and you said, there's too many of you in here. You won't reach a decision. <laughs> and I thought that was fantastic. But democracy has never been your thing in that sense, has it? I don't think it works. And I think it's been proved that it doesn't work. The problem is when we talk about dictators, depends who they are, for what reason they're there. I mean, the one person in particular is the guy, Mr. Putin, that, I mean, he is a proper person. There's nothing he could ever ask me to do that I wouldn't do for him, mm-hmm. because that's the sort of person he is. And it really upsets me when politicians and the likes of politicians criticize him and they don't know him. If they knew the person, they wouldn't criticize. So you think, Bernie, that in, in sport and obviously in, in politics and in life, a person who knows what they're doing and, as you say, is the right kind of person can achieve much more than a group of people squabbling, can't it? Absolutely. Very difficult to get five or six people together to agree on something. And that's what yeah. the big problem is. Whereas you've got one guy for one person providing they know what they are doing and can prove they've done it before and they know what they're doing, it's easier then to let them get on and do it. So they make a mistake, get a couple of things in 10 wrong. It's still not bad. And this is something you had to deal with when you dealt with with the team, doesn't it, all the time? Famously, I, I think somebody said to me that you said the teams always know what they don't want, um, but yeah. they don't know what they want. It's not only teams. It's people in general. If you set a load of people down and ask them, tell me what you want, they'd have some difficulty. Tell them what you don't want and you'd get everybody speaking forever. Bernie, you ran Brabham, of course, but you also ran Formula One. Which was more fun? Well, I think running a Formula One team with Brabham, for example, you knew Sunday evening whether you'd done a good job or not. 
Whereas doing business things, you never get a real answer for a little while, whether you've done a good job or a bad job. I think that's the difference. You obviously have known uh, so many drivers, Bernie, and what for you makes a champion? There's people that want to win and will do whatever it takes to win. I think that's it. You know, if somebody's got a bit of a question mark on doing something, uh, not sure whether they should or shan't, it's the champions that make the decision to do it and do it. And so, for example, someone like Fettel, who obviously is a little bit uncomfortable where he is now, mm. obviously was a great champion and still is a great champion. Is it that little bit of percentage that is missing of focus of wanting to really win and not, maybe not feeling loved? I think that's more important. Having the people around him that support him and want to win as well. Yeah. So it's a team of people that really want to win. Lewis Hamilton at the moment is that guy. He's got everybody around him and he delivers. And they will keep supporting him and helping him because he does deliver. And I think it even goes farther. I'm not saying that people don't like him or don't like somebody. But if somebody are not sort of passionate about somebody, but they will still support somebody that they think is going to win because they feel part of it. It's them winning as well. Looking back, is there anything that you think you should have or could have done differently to make things better in, you know, in Formula One? Probably hundreds of things. <laughs> but I can't even think of one in particular. I must have done lots of things wrong. I must have been at the time thinking, why did I do that? But I can't particularly think at the moment what that is. I think the only thing I've ever didn't do, which I should have done, was when dear Max Mosley had his problems which was nobody's business at all. And I didn't support him, quite the opposite. I said he should leave the FIA. Basically, that was the, probably the first time where people have put enough, if it's the right word, pressure. But I had enough phone calls and enough people saying, you have to support him going because it's not good for the, whatever it is, which on reflection was complete and utter rubbish. And I should have supported him 100%. And in the end, I apologised to him because we've been so close for such a long time. So that's the only thing I think I can say I've been ashamed of. Otherwise, probably done things wrong, but I've not been ashamed of. Because you were so, so close with Max. I remember so many times that I would come you know, early to the paddock and I'd see you and Max sitting on the steps or at Karl Heinz's motorhome. Yeah talking and working things out and yeah. you know and actually to a lot of us in the sport it gave us a sense of continuity and security knowing that that you and Max you know had the sport you know you were thinking about it all the time and trying to get make the best out of it so it must have been a very difficult situation for you yeah it, it certainly was Max was there to do whatever he could to help the sport and help people so in the end, it was commercial considerations that, that put the pressure on you that you were saying that you, you were under, quote unquote, for the good of the sport. Not commercially for me in any shape or form, but for other people, thought it was bad, sponsors and people like that, yeah. and other people like in FAA, all sorts of different people, yeah. which really, if they thought about it now, would probably have felt the same as I felt they should have been supporting him, not the opposite. Do you think that 
with the so many manufacturers in Formula One, I mean, major manufacturers, you know, Mercedes, Renault, etc., that some of the magic has gone out of the sport? Well, it's so different. The trouble with the manufacturers, they came and went when it suited them. And the only people that have been there and stayed there is Ferrari. I suppose you could say, well, it suited them. That's why they've stayed. But uh, they're the only people that have stayed. The other people just come and go, depending on what the board happens to agree at a board meeting, rather than thinking deeply about things. Because you've had situations where you, you had to scramble for a number of, of, of teams on the grid, haven't you? Because as you said, the manufacturers would have just were yep. pulling out for their own reasons, not sporting reasons. That, those must have been tough times when you're trying to get the, uh, enough cars on the grid. Well, we had two problems. We had too many cars at one stage when we used to have to have pre-qualifying, things like that. And then I don't think we've ever got into a position where I've been concerned that we didn't have enough. In fact, I know we have never been in that position. The too many sorted itself out in the end. Mm-hmm. Going back to some difficult times, I remember I was in Indianapolis, that, that famous time when the Michelin tires failed. Yeah. And it was a very difficult time. And you must have come under, you know, huge pressure because everything was unraveling. Also, you know, in the States where obviously the sport wanted to look good. Do you remember that time, Bernie? And, and did, did you feel under a lot of pressure? Well, it's one of the few times when Max and I have not agreed on something. What I didn't want to do is what happened. And Max really thought that the right thing to do was what he, what eventually we did, is to say, well, this is how it is, and that's it. But I thought it was, um, at the time, I thought it was the wrong thing to do, and probably still do. It was surreal. I remember, we, you know, we were in the Red Bulletin motorhome, and we could see the, the, the mm. American police, you know, dressing up for riot duty, you know, putting shin yes. and yeah. everything. Yeah. It was quite surreal. It's never happened before, obviously, in Formula One. You always had a sort of a love-hate relationship with getting Formula One in the States. What was the problem there? They wouldn't pay. I think it was that simple, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, Tony George, Indy was very, very good because he was super. I asked them, they built that completely new control tower and changed the circuit completely from something they'd never ever thought they'd ever do or could do or was need to do. So he was super, super, super about everything. In fact, I haven't had any problem with any of them. The only problem we've really ever had is they forgot to pay, whether it was their memory that was bad or their business ideas didn't work as well as they thought it was going to work. I don't know. Yes, you mentioned payments and, and promoters, and allegedly some races still don't pay anything, and people have mentioned Monaco, amongst others, and some pay very little because they are very important races, possibly you know, in Italy and in England, and others pay an awful lot. When you were running the sport, how did you manage to sort of balance these things out and, and actually make sure that the people didn't feel upset because they're either paying too little or too much? Or, well, not paying too little, but paying too much, obviously. We had a product that they wanted. If you spoke to all the people that run races, without exception, I tell them very clearly, if you sign this contract, you are going to lose a lot of money. So think carefully, sign it. And if you want to tear it up in a couple of days, tear it up and just give me a call. 
all of them without exception, I think, said they, had, they knew what they were doing and they had plans. Uh, some of them knew what I said was true and it really was a very cheap way of them promoting either the country or products or something. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. And you mentioned earlier on that you took the sport out of Europe, which I think was a, was a great thing to do, obviously. But again, you must have had a lot of um, resistance from within the sport, which is quite a conservative sport. You've always been very future-looking, haven't you, Bernie? Like that. Yeah. Well, it wasn't so much... Um real world championship how can you be a world championship staying there so we need to move around a bit but i think even some of the the last races that i put together people said i was mad you know they were quite sure to go into baku people had never heard of baku didn't know where it was mm. and i said don't be feel bad about that because when i started thinking about this i didn't know where it was or anything about it, so it's all right. So we're, we're in this together, but haven't explored the place. And now, if you wanted to cancel Baku, you'd get a lot of people being very, very upset. And there's lots of races like that. Obviously, things have moved on in Formula One, and you were obviously very upset about how things turned out when Liberty Media took over. But are you still sort of upset at how things, the way they developed, how they happened? No, I mean, they bought the company. And I think they thought there's an 80-year-old guy been running this company for 40 years, doesn't know anything about social media. Probably they didn't because it hadn't even started when they started thinking about buying it. Um, and probably thought they could do an awful lot more with it than I'd done. They were going to get six races in America, which was good. I was happy, happy with that because I'd never managed to achieve that. Although we have had a lot of races in America, they've lasted maybe a couple of years and things like that. And then people realize they're not going to make a fortune out of them. 
and have stopped. So I was happy when I thought well, maybe they can do it. They was going to get massive television in America, which again, I hadn't managed to in the way they were going to do it. In fact, it's the same as it always was. So I thought, well, these are American people living in America, meeting American people. So maybe they'll be able to get these things done. So I was very, very happy. But it hasn't quite happened yet. No, it's, it's no. No. But I, I, I think it's like the people that when they told them they were, if they ran the race, they were going to lose a lot of money. And that's what happened. But I think our friends from Liberty thought they could do a lot of things that they haven't managed to do. Yeah. Probably they're more disappointed than I am. Had Liberty not turned up, Bernie, you would have happily carried on running Formula One. You had no ideas to, I mean, not as a word has ever come in your head, retire, but you had no idea to, to sort of hand it on to someone else, did you? Quite the opposite. You know, the, the CVC that really owned the company, most of it anyway, I owned some shares, but they owned most of it. They were lovely, lovely, lovely people to deal with. Never had any problem with them in Anything I wanted to do, they would support completely. So they were really super people to deal with. But they, as their hedge funds, and normally when they, they buy and sell companies and businesses, uh, they normally keep them four or five years and move on. And we kept it double that time. But they wanted, because they had to get out. So for the last three years when I was there, I was setting things up to sell. That was the whole thing. We were looking for people to buy. If we hadn't have sold, I suppose, unless they threw me out, CVC had to throw me out, I'd have still been there. No, the CVC wouldn't have thrown you out, of course. But there were, there were some other groups involved. Um, would you have been kept on had other people come on? Was that part of how you and CVC were trying to sell the company so that you would stay on running the show, which, of course, you would have been the best person to do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, the idea was I was, I had, I, since all oh, way, way, way back, I had a contract myself with a company that I owned, basically, or controlled. And uh, people couldn't really, th I had three years to stay there if I'd have wanted to. But after Liberty bought, I had a call from Chase Carey, the guy that ran things for Liberty, And he said, can I meet you this one weekend? Can I meet you on Monday? I said, of course. Where, what do you want to do? He said, can I meet you in the office? Which they didn't own at the time. Um, I said, you in my office? And said, yeah, sure. I said, well, with pleasure. And when I appeared in the office, to, I was there, and then they, Chase eventually arrived. And he said, uh, you know, we bought the company over the weekend. I said, well, yes, I did own some shares in the company, so I did know you bought it, yes. He said, well, I would like your job. I said, oh, well, I said, you bought the company if that's what you want. So I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, more or less, effectively leave. So I said, yeah, sure. And I left. So, so, so I was a little disappointed that I thought... It wasn't done in a very classy way. In fact, when they were talking about it, I'd spoken to Chase. I said, well, if you buy, I don't know, do you want me to stay or go? Or do you want me to stay with you and you come in and 
we share a big office and we, you can find out exactly what's going on and maybe in six months you could tell me to disappear or whatever. Oh, yes, he thought that was a good idea. So I was a bit surprised when he said, like, adios. I think your presence was um, too powerful for them. They must have felt that they, they wanted you out so they could get on with it. And of course, it took them months and months and months to work out what to do. No, but they were right. I mean, they, they were completely right. They bought the company. They thought I'd been there too long, doing the same thing for too long in the wrong way. And they could do a much better job. So if I'd have stayed there, they probably thought I would have interfered with all the things they wanted to do or criticised the things they wanted to do, perhaps. They probably would have been right. I'm sure they would have been right. So best say it. Bye-bye. Can I take you back to another person that you, you dealt with, which is um, Enzo Ferrari? Because be- between the two of you, obviously, you created, I suppose, modern Formula One, and then you, you obviously continued and developing it. You mentioned handshakes. I remember once I, I interviewed you and you had a picture of Enzo Ferrari in your office, in your line of sight from, from your desk. And I asked you why you had it there. And you told me, I can't remember your exact words, it's a long time ago, Bernie, but words to the effect of, you know, this is a man I could shake hands with. You know, Absolutely, and, 100%. Proper guy, super yeah. guy. Although we had this difference of opinion with manufacturers, us English teams, he was always very supportive of me, although not in the press and maybe not to other teams, but he was always very supportive. If I wanted to do something, I'd talk to him and I don't think at any stage he'd ever said, don't do it or stupid. He always used to say to me, on the top of the table, this is where all the sport is. And he went under the table, this is the business. Because he was a good business guy, a very honourable, trustworthy, likeable person. I've got a soft spot for Ferrari. And you mentioned it's the only team, apart from him, the man, but it's the only team that has been there all the way through. So that deserves respect, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's a bit like Frank with Williams. You know, Frank started, we all started together. And Ron, in it, also the same thing. All those guys were there. And I think without them, we, Formula One wouldn't be what it is today. Because although we had differences of opinion, which most times I didn't take any notice about, in the end, they were quite supportive. I think if you have got a plan, which I never had, as it happens, but if you had an, so let's put it a different way. If you have an idea, and you run it past people, providing it's a sensible idea, people will support it. Or maybe not support it, but not be against it. When you say that, did, did you always make sure, Bernie, that there was always a, a crumb for everybody left on the table so that it could support the plan? Absolutely. I'd always make sure that I was making money for not just myself, but for everyone that was involved. I never liked it when people did things and didn't make money. But do you think there's a, there's a law of diminishing returns? When Schumacher won so much of Ferrari, allegedly people turned off and were less interested in Formula One. Now that Lewis and Mercedes and the whole team are doing such an amazing job, how long is it before people say, oh, yeah, he's on pole position again, or he's won again, the sport is boring? You know, is there a danger of manufacturers thinking, okay, we've achieved everything we need to achieve, 
we now move on because it's a marketing and it's a commercial decision as opposed to a, you mentioned Frank and Ron and Enzo, who, who were there because that was it. That was their sport. That's what they loved doing. Yeah, but I think, that, I mean, Mercedes, look at this. This is how much it costs us to advertise. And this is what we're getting back for it. So it's a very cheap form of advertising. So why should they? I would like to see Lewis move on and do something rather than be a Formula One driver. Because it's, huh? yeah. it's too good. It's too good. That's the problem. <laughs> it's not his fault. He delivers. He's good for Mercedes, good for Lewis. But what you say happens and people say it to me and I'm sure say it to you. Oh, my God. I mean, if people, if we were going to a race today, we wouldn't want to think, well, this guy's going to be on pole position to win the race. You'd like to have a discussion with the three or four guys together saying, well, no, I think he's going to do this and this. But unfortunately, those discussions can't take place any longer. What do you think would be the best thing for Lewis to do if he leaves Formula One? I think maybe in a funny way. I haven't asked. He's got lots of different things he'd like to do, either in music mm -hmm. or fashion or something like that, which he seems to be well involved with. He'd get on very well doing it. Lewis is a, is a champion. He's a winner. He's not going to lay down and die. He's going to get on and do the job, whatever it is he's going to take on. Well, he's in a position to influence people, isn't he now? I mean, he's, um, you know, people, yeah. he is bigger than the sport. He, he's even bigger yeah. than Lewis in a funny sort of way, isn't he? Somebody said to me a little while ago, basically about Lewis, they said, what do you think about him, Formula One? I said, but he's bad for the sport because he's becoming more popular than Formula One. I guarantee you speak to people that sort of half follow Formula One and you mentioned Formula One, that all says... You mean Lewis Hamilton? He's becoming a little bit bigger than the sport, which is good for him because there's no reason why he doesn't deserve it. But whether it, if it's good for the business, I don't know. So interesting to hear his thoughts on the good and the bad of Lewis Hamilton for Formula One. So that pretty much concludes our interview with Bernie Eccleston. But just before going, I remembered that he's a very keen backgammon player. So I thought I'd ask him about it. Is he still playing? I haven't played now for... For a whole day. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I was taught backgammon by a, a friend of my grandmother's who was an extraordinary Greek, half Greek, half Turkish lady, quite a formidable lady. You play a lot of backgammon. How much of it is chance and how much of it is it, it calculating the odds as the game goes through? Well, you need to do that, obviously. Yeah. And decide whether or not it's worth taking that risk. What's the chances of it coming off or not coming off and then you decide whether you're going to do it or not and do you do you decide that on an offensive game or a defensive game before you start or do you just follow the dice i think like most things that you have to wait and see how things are going most times it's good to weigh up the opposition you can be playing someone that's a reasonably good player um, but they're a little bit unlucky you know, they're not rolling the dice well today. I mean, if you play them over a long period, they're going to beat you 100%. But you can play somebody three or four games and beat them if they're very good because you happen to be lucky with the, with the dice and they're not. So is luck something that you can, over time, maybe not control, but overcome? Well, I suppose 
You know, what's incredible about luck, I think there's so many very, very, very successful business people, very successful. And if they bothered to look back, they'd have to say they were lucky. And they were probably lucky because they had an opportunity there offered to them and they took the opportunity. They were courageous to take the opportunity, but lucky it was given to them in the first place. And that was Bernie Eccleston. What a fascinating character. And that was also Formula Once Upon a Time. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Thanks for listening. And by the way, may we wish Bernie a very happy 90th birthday. A remarkable landmark for a remarkable man. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.